Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were joined by Jed Williams, Head of Global Sales Acceleration at Poly for this episode. During the course of the interview, Jed provided us with some excellent soundbites, including one team, one effort, one plan. This is similar to Durham Lane's ethos of one team, one approach. You get things done well when you do them together. A name makes something real. If you want to drive change, give it a name and focus on customers' needs rather than selling your products. In Jed's world, this means hardware mustn't get in the way of the sale. Perhaps obvious to those in the know, but always worth reminding. Finally, are you a Zeems persona? Simon and I are. Enjoy this episode and thanks as always for listening. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the CCO and co-founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, great to be back with you for another episode of The Insiders. Do you want to give us a little bit of insight to Durham Lane before you introduce our guest for this episode. Hi Simon and thank you. Yes, always great to be back inside the Insiders podcast studio. So very briefly, Durham Lane, we're an integrated sales and marketing agency. What does that mean? Well, we spend our time helping our customers create always on channels of meaningful and well-qualified sales opportunities. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Jed Williams. Jed is the head of global sales acceleration for Poly, who were recently acquired by HP. So Jed, Welcome. Uh, Great to have you on the show. And I'm going to hand back to Simon to get us started. Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. And thank you very much, Jed, for joining us on this episode of The Insiders. Uh, Jed, a question we normally like to ask our guests at the the start of all the episodes is just give a little background for our listeners so they can uh, get to know you a little bit better, how you came to be in the role that you're in currently. Yeah, glad to be here, first and foremost. And uh, to answer the question, how did I get to, to Polly? Um, which is now owned by HP, as you mentioned, is I, you know, I joined back in October of 2019. So coming up on, uh, I guess, three and a half years at this point. And so, uh, you know, I was I, I had been with a, a company called Cisco. Most people know about Cisco for about 21 years and really kind of grew up at Cisco uh, in, in multiple roles over there. Started as, believe it or not, a, a systems engineer in the sales organization and just progressed my career through uh, from an SE to a salesperson to a sales leader to, uh, to run in their overall go-to-market strategy. And I came to Poly to do exactly uh, that type of role as well, right? So we can build a, an overall you know, sales acceleration team, which a lot of people say, what, what is sales acceleration? And it's really a way to drive new product introduction, uh, you know, new lines of revenue across the broader uh, poly sales organization. And then now uh, taking that same thing and, and doing it for the broader HP organization. Wonderful. Thank you. And um, you mentioned your, your background and the sort of global remit, and you're responsible for go-to-market globally for poly. How do you approach different regions, different markets when you're going about doing that successfully? Yeah, like many technology companies, uh, you know, we align our sales efforts around three theaters, like the Americas, which includes obviously North America and Latin America, EMEA, uh, which is all of your European uh, type countries, and then Asia Pacific or APAC. Right. And so uh, we really focus our energy and effort around three distinct sales motions across those three theaters. HP's align slightly different. They go down one more level, uh, you know, kind of almost at the at the market level, as they call it. Uh, but it's still organized in a similar, similar manner. And, you know, 
sales plays that work really well within a Mia and a Mare, they, they, those are very similar sales plays. Those same sales plays may not work well inside of APAC. Uh, so you have to, you know, you have to, to adjust them and really, you know, build a, a sales play specific for the Asia Pacific market, whether it's specific for China or something, you know, going into what we call ANZ, right? Australia, New Zealand market. There's, there's just, there's some nuances for that part of the world that, that you can't just take an America's based sales play and just force fit it into, into APAC. It will not work effectively or efficiently. So we're, we're, you know, we really have to, to drive these sales plays per market, but there's a lot of similarities between a mayor and a Mia, but the APAC we've uh, we've learned over the, the years that you have to be pretty unique and pretty specific to to each country, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you mentioned you have like a different platform partners in different parts of the world. How does that influence that approach? Yeah, great question. So you know the interesting thing about being in, on the hardware side of the collaboration equation, and that's what Poly does. In case people don't know that, right? We build phones, we build headsets, we build video units like the one I'm on today. And so we don't sell any of our hardware without it attaching to somebody's platform, whether that's, you know, uh, Zoom or Microsoft or Ring Central or 8x8 or, you know, I don't, I don't you know, you can't mention all 80 or 90 or 100 uh, part, platforms, <laughs> but, but they're like in China, there's a specific, uh, you know, platform provider called Tencent, right? So you, you really have to look at the platform providers that are specific to the country that you're going to market in and making sure that you have the, the right partnerships, relationships uh, with those providers. And clearly the desire is to be a strategic partner with those platform providers versus being just looked at as, as a, uh, a hardware provider. And in terms of your your team at Poly, obviously you, you you mentioned the kind of partners, and you work with a number of them. And you know, we'll have a lot of listeners who are working through the channel or, or a similar a similar kind of structure and a model. So, how do you help and encourage your partners to drive sales of Poly products and services? Yeah, it really is all about how to sell their service and how to make their service you know, more broadly adopted, more used, more which makes it more sticky. And that way, when they come time to renew that contract for that service for that offer, then the renewals become just that much easier. So if using a poly headset like the one I have on today uh, makes that service stickier, right? And more broadly adopted to repeat myself a little bit, right? When it becomes time for that renewal conversation, usually the renewal is it's an easier conversation and you want to you know do the land and expand type of motion where you know they 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 actually add more usage to that renewal type contract. So we focus less about our devices and more about how we really focus on solving the customer needs first and then that pulls through the hardware in the end, but it's all about leveraging the customer need. And the one important thing is we don't want the hardware to get in the way of the cell, right? So, you know, it can't be viewed as, hey, if I attach hardware to this uh, service offering, it's going to slow down my cell. That, that is not an equation for success. And you also, you've now been obviously part of, part of HP, acquired by HP. Do you have a job role there around encouraging HP sellers to be widening their, I guess, their arena of, of focus to include Poly. Yeah, 100% we do. Um, you know, we like to refer to that as synergies, right? How do you get, how do you drive more synergies across the organization? And so if I can get, uh, you know, Poly is roughly a thousand sellers. But so my remit before the acquisition was how do I get a thousand sellers selling this new, new technology or something that my team is responsible for from a new product introduction perspective? Uh, now, now the remit it's just gotten you know 10x bigger, right? How do I get the broader HP sales organization selling that uh, and driving those synergies? 
especially if you take a large HP customer that may not be buying Poly today, that, that is a, an opportunity to go to that customer and say, hey, we're going to make it easier for you to transact this type of hardware, this type of service uh, with HP Poly that they didn't have before. So it really is just an upside opportunity for, for us, but also for the customer to make the, the acquisition process just that much easier. I mean, I guess it's a question linked to the previous one about partners and also HP sellers. So when you're, you're co-selling or you're selling alongside alliance partners and potentially colleagues from HP, how do you set that up to make sure that works successfully you know because sometimes you avoid tripping over each other or a clash in the way you conduct customer discovery customer meetings yeah it's that classic conversation of, of uh you know who is the quarterback in the in the equation to use an american yeah. analogy right you know for u.s football you know who's the quarterback driving that overall the transaction really owning the relationship with the customer and and who is who is providing more of a support function to help to help uh, you know really bring in the right level of expertise into that discussion with the customer you know, we don't like to talk about it. You know, people like think that that overlay is kind of a four letter word. But at the end of the day, my sales acceleration team is an overlay organization with a remit to co-sell with the alliance partners, to co-sell with the HP team or even the poly team to make sure that that we're, we're maximizing the, uh, the size of the opportunity and getting the customer what they need early on in the process, kind of time to revenue, right? If we can really co-sell and wrap those opportunities up faster and get the customer what they want initially, it, it's good for everybody partner, customer, and poly slash HP. And I guess this probably, this next question links to that one again, I think. And and because when we did our pre-interview before we came on air, you mentioned the importance that you personally attached to the concept. You described it as one team, one effort, one plan. Could you just explain what you mean by that and expand on why you personally believe that's so important? Yeah, and that's something that Inbit's worked with me and alongside me and in, in, in the organization will hear, will know that term, one team, one effort, one plan. And I, I like to actually add on to that, say, hey, it doesn't have to be my team, my effort, or my plan, but let's make sure that we go in with one of those, right? Let's go in with one of them to the customer and to the alliance partner, because there is nothing worse than, than competing against yourself in an opportunity. And it can happen back to your question around, you know, how you make sure you're not tripping over each other. And so, you know, I've always, I've always uh, worked along the process of everybody being you know, kind of very, very egos, very the agendas. Let's figure out what the customer wants and figure out how, how we work together as a single team to go get there. By the way, I also say if my team is not adding any value to the equation, we should not be in that equation. So the ideal scenario is if the HP team or the poly team can transact the deal and they don't need the global sales acceleration overlay team in there, that's not a bad thing. That means that my team's done a good job yeah. and got them to a level where we don't need to be in that inside of that opportunity. That's how I look at it, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ego sometimes, isn't it, Jed? It's the thing that maybe maybe kind of gets in the way sometimes when we you're trying to get that focus, those different kind of agendas, I think, that uh, you, you alluded to. Uh, Richard, your perspective from a, from a Durham Lane point of view on, you know, on that great, I think, example from Jed is the the North Star is the focus on what's best for the customer, but the alignment of of the teams. Yeah, I love that one team, one effort, one plan. We have we have ours, Jed, which is one team, one approach. Similar thing, I think, without doubt, across our business, and we're we're twelve years old now. So, well, on Saturday, um, so we know without doubt that when we partner successfully with a customer, then we are successful, and um, we deeply integrate into the BD teams that we serve and and we have success. So I think that 
that integration is really important. One thing it would be great to um, bust a myth, Jed, if you can. So I've always thought that from a sort of tender situation, you might want to be involved in multiple bids. Does that not happen or or does that happen? You know, so do you, might you be involved in a tender with two different partners and Polly being part of the solution in each of those bid responses? Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, interesting question, actually. I, we just had a trade show here that we just wrapped up in the U.S. Uh, called Enterprise Connect down in Orlando, Florida. And I met with a lot of my solution, my alliance partners face-to-face. And we always have that discussion on, I wish you guys would only would only sell you know, my solution. And, and you know, in tongue-in-cheek a bit, I say, well, I wish you guys would only sell my <laughs> hardware, right? And so, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the reality is that there's a lot of different uh, unique customer use cases where, you know, one cloud offer fits better than another cloud offer. There's also some very interesting solutions or situations where customers use a little bit of everything. We lovingly refer to customers that, that uh, use Microsoft and Zoom at the same time as a Zeems customer. And that's where Poly really has a lot of value to that customer because that same physical hardware device can work across both platforms or multiple platforms. So it's a similar experience to the end customer. But to answer your question, every now and then it does pop up. But typically, a customer tells us, hey, we're, we're going down path A or path B. We've made a decision. Re- very rarely does a customer come to us and say, hey, we're going to replace our video units. Whose platform should we use? Whose cloud provider should we What cloud provider should we use? It's typically, hey, we've made a decision. We're moving away from a legacy provider. And we're going to this new architecture that they believe is more modern uh, and will fit their needs better. Now, do you, what hardware would you recommend fits our needs? So typically, that's where it's at in the sales cycle. And I'm delighted. Uh, every day's a school day. I'm delighted to know I'm a Zeems customer, as I, I do have to move between both of the uh, platforms on a regular basis, Jed. So that, that's a kind of a name, if you like, for customers using both of those. And also, on that theme, in our pre-interview as well, you mentioned the importance you placed on naming things. That sounds fascinating. Give us an example. Naming things, which means what to you? Yeah, and it's something I've done my entire career. And I'm not, I believe it or not, is, I'm still a relatively young guy. At least I tell myself that. But I'm on year 29 of my career now and doing this stuff. It's If you give something a name, it makes it real. Right. So, you know, one of the things that we did during COVID, you know, we had a lot of supply shortages is we named a, a big program that we drove inside the company Apollo. Right. And so everybody in my company knows what Apollo is. Right. And they know what how to enact an Apollo. So we measured Apollo. You, know, you, you got to inspect what you expect, that old saying. Right. And so dashboards, everybody had their Apollo goal. Everybody knew what they could sell that that was available via Apollo. And so anytime you want something you to really get the, the, the machine, right, your broader sales force behind you. As silly as it may sound and as simple as it may be, give it a name, right? That everybody from the from the CEO on down talks about, hey, we're executing Apollo, right? And there's a there's been a few things that's like, hey, that's not my name. I don't love that name, but back to the one team, one effort, one plan. Let's let's embrace it. Let's let's get behind it and let's go. And uh, that that does seem to get the momentum of the broader organization behind you because people know what it is. And creates focus, right? Because sometimes we're trying to draw together a number of possible themes together and get, get people focused focused on it. And Apollo, I think you said, was you were making sure because of supply constraints, you had focus on using inventory that you that you had at the time, wasn't it? It was a which, smart move at the time. Yeah, exactly. If you guys, uh, if you ever watched the the movie, right? There was an analogy in the movie. It's like, hey, we've got a square canister. We got to figure out how to make the square canister work in this round <laughs> yeah. in this round cylinder. And and you, sometimes you, you got what you have, and you have to figure out a way to make it work. Turning earphones into videos. 
<laughs> there you go. Or as an old boss of mine used to say, let's sell what's on the truck. <laughs> yeah. And obviously your your folks are, are, you know, selling into large enterprise and, you know, large global kind of organizations, I'm sure. And with regards to the role of what we might refer to as the enterprise seller, albeit you're very young in your career, Jed, as you said, even though it's just, just uh, 29 years. What are the, some of the big changes that you've seen happen? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question now, especially you know during the pandemic, the enterprise seller was able to to become almost an inside seller. They, they would never want to be called that, yeah. but for sure, because back to that ego word, right? It's like no, I'm a I'm a I'm a sales executive, but we became very very adept and uh, uh, successful at driving sales via inside seller during the during the pandemic. So the pandemic has changed the way we all do business now, right? It, it truly has. In fact, this trade show we were just at, yeah, there's lots a lot, lot of folks that just this first time we've seen each other in, in four or five years face to face, right? In in some cases, and so it's just a very interesting dynamic that that you don't have to be in front of the customer all the time. Now, I will say there's a healthy balance there, though, because as much as, as you can do things effectively, just like we're doing here via video, and that's that's exactly it. We want to bring the equity to this remote experience. That's that's what we're all about. But you do have to get in front of the customer every now and then and have that face-to-face conversation and, and really make sure that you, you know, again, an old term, press the flesh, make sure that, you know, shake shake some hands and make sure people understand that you're a real person and that that uh, that you're there to help help them be successful. So, but it, but it has changed the dynamic uh, pretty considerably, and I think we all we all see that now. I love your expression. Everybody became an inside seller, and uh, where traditionally, I don't know, a lot of organisations sort of inside sellers do up to this much, and and externals, you know, which is I do I do fondly remember a conversation taking place in a client where an external salesperson was getting very upset and said something to one of their inside colleagues, and they said, "You can't do a deal that big. You're an inside salesperson," which which I thought was was absolutely absolutely you're not allowed. You know, you've. Uh, You've been right. too. You've been too successful. Stop it! I think it was a was a crazy conversation. Richard, changes from your perspective across. You've got quite a obviously broad client base. Do you remember our our podcast with Ryan Bott from Sodexo yes. early yeah. on in the days of the Insiders, Simon? So Sodexo really really lent into the shift that the pandemic was accelerating from enterprise to inside. I think some of the efficiencies that you get from being uh, behind a desk, whether that desk be in your office or in the work office or at home, wherever, then are significant. All of our businesses is from behind the desk. So there are lots of lots of benefits to be gained from that. And I believe that the lid has really lifted in terms of what people believe is, is possible from um, a non-face-to-face interaction. That said, totally agree with Jed where you still can't beat getting face-to-face. Sales is a human endeavour, I believe, and uh, building relationships is a key part of what we do. I just think that we can work in a much smarter way than we ever have done before. And, you know, personally, if I think about over the last 10 years, the trips that I've gone down to London, I probably look at 50% of those and think, nah, probably didn't need to do that. Um, you know, So um, you now make the time really count. I think it's also heightened the the importance of face-to-face. So when you do actually get face-to-face with people, there's needs to be something really meaningful behind it. And, and Jed, changes to your buyers as a result, I suppose, of, of those kind of changes in the way people are working. So I guess that must have must have altered things for you from their perspective. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, for the last 10 years in, in, in my industry, right, and I'm, you know, the, I'm in the collaboration space, as I mentioned earlier, right, headsets, phones, and video units, right? 
you know, the pandemic has really cemented the fact that at least for the average knowledge worker, you need a headset, you need a video camera, you may not need a phone. Right. And so uh, that's really changed the dynamic on, well, what's the what's for a knowledge worker? What is the need for a phone? Right. You still need a phone number. Right. You're still going to take phone calls, but you may take it via your PC or via a soft client. What's really interesting, though, is for the SMB. Right. You know, the small, medium business in the vertical space, you know, healthcare, retail, that sort of, you know, they still need phones. So it's just it's just. Yeah, I, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression what I just said, like, hey, phones are finally dead. No, that's not the case at all. Uh, but I think the, the folks before it's like, no, I have to have a phone on my desk because of the pandemic have gotten very comfortable with, you know what, the soft phone thing actually does work really well. And so I don't need a phone. So now you start to, yeah, you know, I take a customer that may have, let's say they had 10,000 phones before the pandemic and they're going to upgrade their phone system to, a, to the next big cloud provider. It's one of our providers. They may buy, you know, 5,000 phones and 5,000 soft phones. Right. So it's just uh, yeah, and, and so it's, it's definitely changed the dynamic of how people what people use to collaborate with, for sure. Yeah, which is, is another example, I think, isn't it, of like what's the customer need? So what's the need of the customer? Not necessarily the customer needs a telephone. It's it's they need to be able to do certain sort of communication. And how do you keep up to speed with those sort of changes? So your marketing and sales approach is relevant and effective? You know, we've got a world that's changing, obviously, so much. Yeah, it's a really great question, actually, because uh, right now, I think all of our collective customers are trying to figure out what does return to office really mean? At the yeah. beginning of last year, I'll tell you, the business was incredibly hot. In fact, it was the, you know, you know, everybody was, was video enabling everything. Everything was cloud connected. And they were modernizing their offices, refreshing their offices, trying to get every, you know, trying to make it, you know, appealing to get people back to the office. And so that was the first half of last year. And so they did all this work and then people didn't return to the office. People were like, I'm not, I'm not going back to the office. And so yeah. I think a little bit between, okay, we, we built it and they didn't come. And the economy has gotten a little bit soft, I think is putting it lightly. Uh, and so now everybody, my, my largest customers are, are reevaluating what is the floor print of our of our office space need to look like maybe before I had a hundred conference rooms that weren't video enabled maybe now I just need 50 conference rooms but they all need to be video enabled as an example right yeah and so everybody's reevaluating what does this return to office thing really look like and how much are we going to force or mandate our employee base to come back to the office and if they are coming back to the office, why, right? What are we going to, what's the need to come back to the office? And so, you know, that, that to me is, is, you know, really changing the way that we market in my industry, we're all focused on, okay, how do we help our customers get to, uh, you know, put a strategy in place to make return to office, make sense for the employees, right? And, and really, you know, cost justify, you know, their, their real estate footprint and drive the productivity gains that they need to drive, especially during the time of a, of a, a economic downturn. Yeah, because it's been an unknown situation, hasn't it? It's never really occurred on the scale that it occurred with COVID. And then I guess I had clients, I think, who sort of assumed, well, now it's over, everybody's going to want to come back to the office. And employees didn't, you know, and they went, right, we're going to go two days at home, three days in the office. And employees still went, yeah, not so sure about. So it's been a really fascinating, very volatile situation. So I guess they're, are they looking to, to suppliers like yourself, Jed, to help to answer those questions? 
Uh, they, we, they are right, and so we're working with our alliance partners, and we're also working with some of our largest, uh, you know, the large systems integrators that are out there that that, can, that that provide that kind of consultant level to build some practices around, you know, the return to office uh, concepts and principles, as well as uh, we call it personification. So you, you know, where you've got a, you know, you, you've got a, a sales a salesperson, you know, what is what what product, what equipment, what what devices do they need right you know to be able to do their job versus you know a top level executive versus like a, a you know a knowledge worker that's that's down at you know you know building you know a product in the factory right and so you know we, we have about eight different levels of personas to help customers understand this is what we're seeing and and we're we're updating those personas to make sure that they are current because the personas pre-pandemic versus now are, are pretty drastically different. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what I often say to, to account managers and salespeople when I'm working with them at my clients is you have that incredibly broad overview across multiple customers and potentially multiple industries, which our customers don't because, you know, they spend the majority of their time head down inside their own organization. So you have a much broader, more informed perspective. You've got a lot of value to bring to them even before you actually start talking to them about buying requirements. So, yes, yeah, an interesting place to be. Customers are looking for, for guidance sometimes because they can get very confused about things, can't we all, when we're, we're making buying decisions, when we've got so many different choices. So, Richard, uh, first of all, obviously, happy birthday to Durham Lane <laughs> on, on Sat- on Saturday. Yes, for, you. your, for your happy, happy birthday to that. Key points for you from, from the conversation with Jed? Yeah, sure. And Jed, uh, thank you. It's been great listening to your experiences in the way that Polly uh, Polly works. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of, if I can read my writing properly here, which is uh, seeming to be a bit of a struggle today, actually. But um, yeah, we just started off talking about sales acceleration and the, and the differences. I think that's maybe a topic to come back to another day, Simon, is the the different selling into different parts of the world. We, you know, we come up against that a lot, a lot and talk about it a lot. Really interesting from a Polly's perspective is that all products are attached to a platform. Um, it would be very easy, I think, to get stuck in product sales. But Jed mentioned a number of times how it's you know, you're selling on customer need, which is you know, really, I yeah. think, speaking our language here on the on the insiders. So focusing less on devices and and focusing really on customer need to deliver the solution. And uh, and to that point, the hardware mustn't get in the way of the sell. So, you know, also like that as a, a bit of a mantra. Uh, we talked about one team, one effort, one plan. We learned that Simon is a Zeem, as as am I actually. Durham Lane is a Zeem's <laughs> customer. So um, that was, uh, that was a, a new term for us. But also a name makes something real. And, uh, you know, we've got examples of that here. But um, I like that, Jed. I think that's a really great point for listeners to think about. If you want to focus on something, if you want to implement something, Something across your business, then give it a name, get it the uh, the recognition in that way, and then finally, really sort of touched around a little bit back to the pandemic. So the enterprise sellers becoming inside again. Uh, what do you need in order to do your business? Um, I don't have a phone on my desk, so I spend most of my day on on Teams, sometimes on Zoom, and obviously email and the rest. And then we we finished with a you know what could be a very philosophical question, which is what does the return of the office really mean? So I'm going to leave my summary there. I, th- I think that's still to be decided, isn't it? I think the the return is yet to be debated. And and Jed, back in my my corporate life, I I used to um, sell global e learning solutions, and one of my mantras was uh, at that time was build it and they won't come. Um, and it seems like uh, many of our our uh, global brands built their built their new environment and then have found that people haven't come back. A lesson to be learned there, maybe. 
And and Jed, final final question. We're building the Insiders Spotify playlist, and we ask every guest to choose a song which will add to the playlist. It's a very rich, diverse, and eclectic collection of genres. What is your chosen song to add to the playlist, please? Well, you may this may surprise you, but uh, I've got a, a, a daughter that's about to be fourteen, and uh, I got called out on this last uh, this this last week on on a, on a, a broadcast. We had an intro broadcast for all of HP Poly, but uh, uh, I'm going to say Taylor Swift's uh, Shake It Off, right? When you have a 14-year-old daughter, you hear a lot of Taylor Swift. And uh, right now with the economy doing what it's doing, uh, we got to shake it off and figure out how we're going to make the number and, and keep pushing forward. Actually, right? I am surprised awesome. with an, an artist of, of such popularity. It is the first time Taylor Swift, I think, has made it onto the Insiders playlist. Yeah, so- my daughter my daughter will be very pleased to hear that Taylor's made it onto the uh, esteemed <laughs> Insiders Spotify playlist. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, you very much to Jed for joining us on this episode of the Insiders by Durham Lane. And thank you to my co-host, Richard. And thank you for listening in, folks. Please subscribe to the Insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site and you'll be notified of new episodes which are released on a regular basis. And please visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level. In the meantime, on behalf of everybody at the Insiders, we'd just like to wish you good luck and good sales and marketing, folks. The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.